0: Tory Radio, the best news, interviews, and much more. Today it's my great pleasure to be talking to Sir Ian Duncan-Smith. Sir Ian, thank you for talking to us today. Firstly, it would be rude of me not to congratulate you on your night, sir. Congratulations. Thank you. Reports of your demise have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about gambling, but first of all, I want to talk very briefly about how does it feel to be back here after being targeted by Momentum?
1: Well, it was fascinating, the election. um, If that was their strategy, they got it very badly wrong. They were hemorrhaging votes all over the country. London was peculiar to them, because London is uh, much more likely to vote Labour than anywhere else. But the rest of the country was busy losing votes for Labour, and they gave these seats very little support. Meanwhile, in London, they had this ludicrous decapitation policy, myself and Boris, mm. uh, and they flooded both our constituencies with people. I mean, on some occasions, I had hundreds and hundreds of them. You know, sometimes they were knocking on doors, three, three of them at a time, because they had so many. And none of them were from the constituency. They were all from out. And the interesting thing is that, like all decapitation policies, at the end of the day, it ruins you. Because... Uh, I was told the other day by a Labour friend, he said that uh, one of his colleagues who lost their seat had been in the Midlands, just, you know, not that far away, an hour, mm. hour's train mm. ride up. And he was up visiting in the last week, and he crowed to her that, don't worry, we're after Boris and, and IDS, and mm. we think we're going to get IDS, we're going to get IDS. And she said, what good does that do me? She said, I'm struggling, I've got nobody up here to help me, none at all and I'm gonna lose this seat. What good will it do having two totem uh, heads, as it were, when we are going to lose our seats and you're gonna lose the election? And he just said, we're not losing an election. He said, we're gonna win it and we're gonna take these scalps. And she just shrugged and apparently she said that they're deluded, they're completely deluded. So what we had was a, a whole ton of people coming into my seat. Um, they, uh, they were vile. Uh, we had this ghastly kind of hate campaign gendered by these hardcore, hard left uh, people. Um, And there were, you know, there was this decaying rat put through the post that was spray-painted. I had women volunteers chased down the street by a carload of labour-badge-wearing men threatening to catch them and smash their phones. This was at about 7 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. You know, really frightened people. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had people spray-painting stuff, the same characters again and again. Uh, We had death threats, we had violence, threats of violence. Um, The whole thing was completely out of hand. But having said that, we had great support we carried on we knew what we had to do I never doubted for one moment we would win the seat Um, and because they threw so much at me a number of my colleagues, who didn't get any attacks from them, yep. won their seats. So i agree.
0: I, I recently did... you, you mentioned sort of uh, what I call a line that's been crossed in politics. I recently did an interview with my 2005 <coughs> opponent, who <coughs> who is now Lord Man, who spoke about the threats that his staff yep. face, resulting in three people being sent to jail. You've just spoken quite forthrightly about the campaign. Do you think now a line... Uh, across all of politics that a line has been crossed uh, with what people think it's legitimate to say and indeed do in campaigns and politics and to MPs mm. and their staff and uh, who's responsible and what do you think can be done?
1: Well there are a number of things got to be done I, I did say to a couple of Labour friends and I've got a lot of Labour friends <coughs> here in Parliament and they were all disgusted uh, about what's been going on in the Labour Party. Uh, and also the fellow travellers that are all now back in. See, before they were all shut out by Neil Kinnock and by Tony Blair, <clears throat> these characters all come back in and they've, and they've made the, the, the nature of politics very nasty. The second bit, which is really bad, is that uh, social media has encouraged this because they all think they're anonymous. So what you get, and uh, so I'm told, I'm no expert in this, is that they all create these avatars So you get one person may have 10 avatars. So what they do is they bounce everybody on social media into believing that uh, there are just hundreds of thousands of them. Actually, there's nothing like that. They're all fake addresses, strange characters, they're avatars, and some of them are bots, we think. So they, what they do, what Momentum does, is creates this kind of groundswell, they think, on social media. The truth is, most people don't notice it, because <laughs> most people aren't engaged in it. But it is pretty vile and abusive, and they they don't hold back. So... But my, you know, personally, it doesn't bother me in the slightest bit. You know, uh, they can threaten me as much as they like.
0: But, but do you worry for, I know... It's, you know. Uh, for
1: my volunteers, so, yeah, I always yeah. thought, you know, this is the kind of stuff that you would expect yeah. would put people off. Actually, funnily enough, it encouraged people to come and help. Mm, that's interesting. So what they ended up doing was sucking more Conservatives into the seat to fight them, which was counterproductive for them. So, and also put off a lot of Conservatives. those are the Conservatives in my seat. Those are <clears throat> members of the constituency who lived in the seat. Uh, if they knew about it, they were just disgusted by it. Now,
0: you're known for many, many things, but more recently you've been campaigning on the issue of gambling. I mm. guess my, my first yep. couple of questions is, how do you get involved? And then obviously you and, and with other parliamentarians w- were involved in the campaign against fixed odds betting terminals. Yep. What was it about those that particularly concerned you?
1: Well, uh, I have to go back to when... the Blair government uh, deregulated really the whole gambling industry in their bill and I uh, I said at the time that if you do this this will lead to huge personal human problems at the time we we were talking about super casinos Hmm. and I was opposed to those but in the sense that they will suck things in around them but I also said the whole gambling industry Uh, is not the kind of industry that, unregulated, is going to do good. Um, And, of course, we lost. Uh, They got all their stuff through in the end, and uh, it's sat in the back of my mind. Now, I chair the Centre for Social Justice. Centre for Social Justice has included as its pathways to poverty um, gambling addiction. So we've been ahead of this. So when uh, Carolyn Harris came to see me, she was the Labour MP, Mm -hmm. You uh, think in Swansea East. She um, <coughs> she's become a very good friend, and she said, "Why don't we join forces together and do something about it?" Your centre for social justice. Uh, I've got so many horrible stories from people, so I agreed, and we agreed that the number one starting point was the fixed odds betting terminal, which is is terrible, uh, and well was terrible. It's it's now much reduced, but we had a huge battle. She and I. Uh, um, Against, um, uh, against the gambling companies uh, who wanted to, first of all, try and just reduce it slightly, uh, and the gambling commission, which seemed to be very toothless at the time. So this took us quite a while. We forget it took a, a, a quite a while. Tracy Crouch was on side as a minister, couldn't really say very much public. Um, and most of the ministers that I spoke to were on side about it. So we knew if we got the first battle done and won, um, uh, and Ronnie Cairn, of course, was also part of it, the three of us. Uh, and uh, when we broke through that, we knew that after that we needed to move, and so we got that done, and then the next target we immediately said was to change our name because we're going to go after online gambling.
0: Now, now on, on that subject, uh, one thing that, that people will say perhaps the bookies were accurate with is that they said betting shops will shut because of this, 1200 have shut over the mm. last yep. year. Is there any you're going now for online quite rightly. So is there any is there any danger that by shutting the betting shops you've pushed people online and that's as, perhaps even more dangerous because they can bet 24 well, hours if, a day.
1: If we didn't want to take on online then that would be a problem. But the truth is that, although they said they were closing, there were quite a lot of betting shops that were already closing. There wasn't to blame for the fixed odds betting terminals. Uh, but when you think about it, the average loss on a fixed odds betting terminal was about £1,000 a time. Uh, and many of these, go and have a look where the betting shops were, they were all around the poorest housing, because people, who men particularly, it's aimed at men, would, would get their money, you know, if they were unemployed or whatever, and they'd spend it all in the betting shops, so the families didn't get any money. So there was a logic to this, which said we needed to bring this under control. Uh, But it wasn't to stop there. Online betting is a saying. I'm not against gambling. Far from it. People want to put a flutter on some horses or whatever. That's fine by me. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is you go from people who bet, you know, not all the time and don't lose money all the time to people, companies that then encourage those who bet to bet more and more, and then even in debt, they turn a blind eye and then they offer them all these inducements, the VIP rooms, the special tickets to football matches, all this stuff, because they are very heavy bettors. And they also lose. Now, what was interesting, we discovered in our inquiry that we've held, is that they're very quick to shut down on people who win. You know, if you show any signs of over a period winning, they're not going to let you bet anymore. Because they don't like you unless you lose. Because, you know, you have to lose. That's where they make their money. So they're very quick to reward those who bet big and lose. Uh, Always encourage them. Hence, you get these adverts for start your bet. Here's some free money, 30 quid or whatever. And then if you show a propensity to bet a lot, then they'll start moving you into the VIP rooms and special meetings, celebrities. And if you look at the advertising, the other thing, it's all aimed at young men. So, so the point was that we discovered that this was going on. Uh, and the and, and the way if you look at the way the advertising is shaped, it's to young men telling them, if you bet, you can beat the odds, you're smart, you're savvy, only the smart ones can do it, and here's how you do it. And of course, it's very attractive, you know, groups of men, mm-hmm on their telephones now in two seconds flat putting new bets on in the middle of matches you know i'm smart i can guess which got. yeah i have nothing against gambling but this is really encouraging people to gamble a lot and without too much thought. Instantaneous gambling is what they're
0: after. We'll hopefully come on to, to the issue of, of advertising. Now I want to mm. start probing what, what's always been a bee in my bonnet, which is uh, the lottery. Someone suggested that, why is the UK the only country in the world that allows children to gamble? And I'm thinking particularly of scratch cards, which are known to be addictive and just, do we need to do something on that area? We do.
1: We need to our problem is we're trying to do this we're just a voluntary group that's raising to attention. So the one One thing we were pushing for, which now uh, the Gambling Commission has said they're going to introduce, is an end to credit cards on online gambling. This will have a big impact because debit cards mean you're not going to be betting if you owe money. So that's the first thing. The second thing we've asked for is banks to have a much smarter system of seeing when people go over. Uh, And start probing and start sharing this information with the Gambling Commission, who can then look to see who's actually betting and who's betting big. So ending the uh, credit card is a big start. Uh, So at least you've begun to get this under under control. Um, You're right about other things to do with the lottery. I mean, the fact is that we're trying to look at what inducements lie out there for children to gamble. So there's these loot boxes in games which are all about gambling when you look at them mm. and they need to be sorted out The lottery in terms of young kids buying scratch cards. You're quite right uh, We need to look at that as well. I mean, there's don't, don't. a lot of those things we're trying to look at get things back under control not As I say, I don't want to stop anything people can gamble. Mm. That's fine by me But what I don't want is this abusive stuff, which is going on which is trapping people mm. destroying families etc and it is and, and the. I suppose you are going to come around to this about gambling companies and the very nature of the way they work at the moment is really fascinating. Uh, they, um, there is a level of arrogance about the gambling companies because nobody's done anything about them for so long. When we first started this process, they fought us tooth and nail, threw a lot of money at it. Uh, we won on the on the on the fixed odds betting term. It looks like we're now moving the debate quite rightly on online gambling and the use of credit cards. Um, and now all of a sudden they're realising that actually the game may be up for the lap for the complete freewheeling gambling industry because of the nature of addiction that it's causing. But they still don't do enough about it. So they're, 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 what I call, they're behind the line all the time. You know, the tide is coming back in on them and they're still standing on the beach thinking... It's reached its high mark. It has not. It's still coming, and that's going to affect them.
0: I'm definitely going to sort of pick up on on your points and and ask you sort of from a view of what advice you'd give gambling companies. But specifically, I guess, on on the lottery, Mm. I read that, uh, which opened my eyes. I used to work at the post office, and this was... 2 decades ago when it had more uh, branches of the banks and building societies mm. combined and it was 19,000 post offices yeah. which I suspects now down to maybe 9 or 10,000. Yeah. It's interesting that as part of I guess Camelot's licence conditions they have yeah. nearly 37,000 places that sell Uh, what i'd call the proper lottery where you pick your numbers i suspect there's no addiction in that as far as i'm aware but most of those also sell the scratch cards and some more do you think that the fact that it it absolutely as a matter of fact gives millions of pounds to good causes funds the olympic team uh, it gets a bit of a free ride on the one product that actually when you look at it I think scratch cards raise three billion, yet only 10% of the money goes to good causes, and that's the one area that is a worry, which must be the reason that they've slashed the maximum mm-hmm. price from a 10 pound prize and gone down to five. Do you think that that, that needs to address? Because, uh, say, I, I can go into my, I guess you know, local Wilcos, let's say, and they have an A board with color, just advertising scratch cards, and they're every saying that they're available at every checkout, just like when it was clamped down on having sweets there. And that surely is about appealing to kids.
1: Yeah, no, I I don't disagree, and we, Carol and myself and Ronnie have talked about this. As I said, the one problem we've got is there's only so much we can do at the time. Mm. We want the Gambling Commission to have more teeth. We want the Gambling Commission to be more proactive. We want the Gambling Commission to start not wait for us to press them and it's us that's pressed them over online gambling and the use of credit cards and they're now beginning to move on that they're very slow quite flat-footed so my view is they need to be quite aggressive would be the wrong word but they need to nip all this stuff in the bud so they themselves should now be looking at the lottery. Mm. And I know people might go, oh, that's going to be less money and you're all killjoys. But not really. We just want to make sure that um, we keep the levels of addiction mm. down and manageable. What we don't want is kids starting this, mm. then going on to become serious problem gamblers.
0: On, 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 on addiction, obviously, I guess, I, guess, I assume, that, that with your work through the Centre for Social Justice, you will have come across more people who are addicted to various things than, than I perhaps ever will. On the credit card issue, it was interesting, I was listening to, obviously it came out last week and listening on the radio, people who said they had real gambling issues that they just find a way to circumvent this. Is is that in its sense? Is, is it more about sending the message that it's making it harder rather than them saying, well, I'll just go and get cash and load it up and do it a different way? Is well, it just putting in that extra step to make it harder?
1: Well, it, yeah, when things are a bit more difficult, you really have to think about what you're doing. I mean, if you <laughs> really, really are a problem gambler, of course. The reason is you are a problem gambler, so if you have an addiction like this, then you are going to struggle to control it yourself. So what we're trying to do is to put in those moments when you stop and you think, or your family is able to say to you, what are you doing? What is going on here? Uh, make it more difficult for you. Just to, The key thing is gambling companies love the idea of someone making another bet quickly. They love, that's why if you look at all the adverts now, therefore, you sit watching a game, you can do half-time betting, you can do full-time, look at the score, you know, look how many corners you've got. They're creating more and more and more ways of you placing a bet, but doing it quickly. Uh, That's what they want. They want a quick moment where you have to make a snap decision without too much thought. Um, and, and that's really the key so so when you if you bet on a horse race That's a different game altogether you go you look at it You look at the odds and you place your bet you wait for the race to finish uh, Then either you succeed or you lost that's as old as Horses themselves people betting on it. That's not the same as the instantaneous betting that we've been looking at with fixed odds betting terminals with online gambling all that sort of stuff That. That is and I guess that's possible. what scratch
0: cards is, because yeah. it's an
1: instant... Quickly, go, go, go and get another one.
0: You've mentioned advertising, and I do find that interesting. Why don't... Maybe you are. Maybe you're, why doesn't your group just call for gambling advertising to be banned?
1: Well, we are looking at all this. I mean, I, as I say, I'm I'm always reluctant to be over-prescriptive <laughs> about what people make choices on. But, um, but having said that, we are looking at all of this at the moment. There's just only so much we can get to at the time. Although... You know, the, then the gambling companies finally reacted and said they wouldn't bet within certain time limits of a game. But I was watching the football game the other day, and uh, the, the breaks, even the cricket games, you know, the test match, in they are with, uh, you know, more adverts in between when there's a drinks break or half time or whatever. You know, we've got to try and make sure that Um, people aren't the only way you can watch this and therefore the FA's decision the other day was just astonishing you know they knew they'd made this decision a while back and they didn't occur to them that they needed to revisit the decision because basically the the whole issue of gambling has moved on instead of which they allowed it to go ahead and it is an abuse to think that to watch a game you have to join up to a company or place a bit let me throw
0: something at you uh, on, on that subject mm. is there a difference then I'm sure you'll think there is with for example a local pub having an exclusive screening of football to make you go down to the pub to watch it given that there's huge issues with alcohol mm-hmm. then what I, I mean it's been as you say it's been going on a long time that I've actually had a, had a, a gambling account and left £10 in mm. just to watch American baseball because quite like baseball so, so yeah, is- but
1: actually, if I if I'm correct on this, the pub itself isn't exclusive. It'll be on one of the uh, one of the channels, maybe Sky Sports or whatever. So <clears throat> that pub may have it, but there'll be other pubs that have it as well. The difference with this contract with the FA was if you wanted to watch those games, those games would be covered only under this particular mm. company who ran it or a group of companies that ran it. So. My view is that <clears throat> it, because it's so obviously a gambling, therefore there is an element of addiction.
0: And you wouldn't have a problem with, which has always been the case, you've mentioned horse racing with regards bricks and mortar bookies that have solely exclusive television rights to
1: horse racing. I have less problem with, uh, with bookies on the street because people that go in there, watch it, they make their bets... That, that's a slower process, to my mind, and I'm not, as I say, I'm not against gambling, I'm far from it, I think, you know, horse racing relies on gambling revenue and all those, I recognise that, all I'm simply saying is, we're trying to cut out <clears throat> those routes to increased addiction and problem gambling. I'm not against gambling. gambling You couldn't ban gambling if you tried, a bit like the prohibition period. Mm. you know. Gambling will be done full stop. If it's not legal, it'll be done illegally. I accept that. What, I'm try- what we're trying to do is just get the balance right so that the gambling companies recognise that they have certain responsibilities in this. And up until now, it's been a free-for-all. Mm. So you look at the profits on the gambling companies are astonishing, absolutely astonishing, and the amount they pay their chief executives, I mean really is astonishing as well. So we just need to get this back into a reasonable place, uh, so that people, if they gamble, they understand the risks they run, but they understand while they're doing it, they have time to think about it. Before they then go and put another bet on, they understand that they have only so much money. Having
0: fought many, many general elections, mm-hmm. you'll have experienced this probably in every one because it comes up in mm-hmm. every election. There always seems to be a scramble about how the NHS needs more money. Yeah, Certainly com- always comes from our opponents. It needs more money. That's the only solution. But no one ever seems to ask, well, how much? Almost so that you can say, well, if we say that much any other problems that aren't about money because it's not always about money. So if I relate that to gambling, how much do you think gambling companies need to contribute towards responsible gambling measures education and treatment and how do you think that compares against other industries with perceived ills I'm thinking of now alcohol and obesity do you think something did you do you think the industry needs to be say to to be told look this is what this is what you're making this amount of money this is what we as legislators think is an appropriate amount of money to cover what we see as a perceived ill
1: in society yeah yeah, they need uh, a lot more than they're doing at the moment the answer that question Uh, they're doing de minimis uh, when it comes to this, they'll say, oh, we put so much money in, it's tiny. When you look at the the turnover, I think, what was it, the last time I looked, 15 billion pounds or something was the annual turnover of the gambling companies. Uh, most A huge proportion of that is profitable. Um, they could afford to put a lot more into this because otherwise government has to do it through general taxation. So we, we, either the government needs to move on this or gambling companies themselves need to agree that they will put in a much, much higher amount of money going into a fund to help uh, people with problem gambling. I mean, I went to visit one of these uh, organisations, a charity, uh, listened to some of the characters that are gambling, and some of these stories are really heart-rendering because um, all addiction and you know serious addiction ends up causing real problems for people, but also for their families. So alcohol addiction, drug addiction, gambling, they're all in the same area where people get addicted to a process. What we need to try and do is break that addiction... the the solutions are very similar in all accounts Um, and therefore uh, getting people out of that addiction is really really important and I think there is a social good to it so my answer to the gambling companies is get your act together and start putting more money
0: on that very subject if I was a CEO of a leading betting company imagine I'd just taken one of them over Mm -hmm. I'd never met you before but I was here in front of you now and I said I wanted an adult conversation I wanted to engage with you And I said, you know, what do I need to do so that you and your colleagues will accept, which you've said that that you you will, accept betting as a legitimate pursuit, Mm. Uh, we are seen to be doing the right thing. What do you think needs to happen for, 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 for the industry to move from where you see them at the moment to
1: where you think they need to be? They need to be more responsible. They need to know much more about the people betting. They need to know whether somebody is betting beyond their means. They need to know whether somebody uh, is betting in a peculiar way, which makes them believe that they're not beyond their means, but they may be in in, you know, there may be indications of fraud taking place at the other end. So in other words, they need to take an interest much more in individuals. Secondly, they need to stop targeting those individuals, the ones that bet a lot and getting them into these inducements, VIP rooms, match tickets, all that sort of stuff. That's got to stop. Yeah, if you want uh, somebody who wants to bet a lot, and that's up to them if they want to do that, what I think has to happen is they just they bet, but at some point you've got to decide that this person could well have a problem. Uh, in other words, all the indicators are that. You, there needs to be some kind of alarm bell ringing that says, I think we need to report this individual and get some... So we need to see a link-up, where where um, somebody who's gambling a lot, eventually that information goes back to their bank. The bank themselves needs to know whether or not somebody is busy spending money they don't have. You know, these are issues, so we need to see greater internal control uh, of this and, less, and, and far less work done to incentivize problem gamblers. The VIP rooms, I think, are the biggest single threat at the moment. They need to be very clear about this that those should shut down. There should just be gambling. I don't think the idea of putting people into VIP rooms on the basis that they lose a lot of money is a constructive or helpful way. And it's where they make huge profits, by the way, in the VIP rooms, because they all do it now. They admitted that to me in the, in the inquiry.
0: Do you think you'd get a conversation? Oh, and by the way, more
1: money, definitely much more support uh, for charities dealing with problem gamblers,
0: do you think you'd get a conversation offer like that from the industry, and would you welcome it? Well, we
1: have asked already. Um, we had this. We had this inquiry the other day. Not all the CEOs turned up. Uh, I'm thinking of one particular woman who just refused point blank to even play a part in it. Who was very seriously wealthy. Um, and has paid no interest at all in cooperating, contacting, being in touch at all.
0: And on that, what do you imagine that are going to be the next steps in in this campaign?
1: The next steps are very much to pursue them over the VIP rooms, I think, um, and start looking at the mechanisms behind that and how the checks are taken out and how we can start to shut down on this process that makes genuine and serious profit. Uh, out of people who have problems
0: and do you think or, or will, indeed will you be calling for government to take any action be it yeah. legislation and do you see a timescale yeah.
1: for this? I'm not a natural regulator in the sense that I think that uh, most things can be resolved, uh, resolved properly but the government's got to give a warning now to the, um, uh, to the gambling industry uh, that they're in the last chance saloon that what's actually been going on for too long has been profit above everything else and they have a social responsibility. Some people say, oh, I don't recognise a social... Well, I do. When you're when you're making money off something like gambling, or if you're making it off alcohol, or if you're making it off... Uh, well, you can't say drugs, illegal legal drugs are illegal. But if you're making it off something, which in turn uh, leads to problems, then you have a responsibility to deal with those problems. Uh, and particularly if the model you have, uh, which is quite similar between the alcohol industry and gambling. The model you have is to encourage people who drink to drink more or cur- encourage people who gamble to gamble more. And then you have a very strong responsibility to ensure that the fallout from that is dealt with. And I think so across all those boards, reduce that level of pressure on people to gamble even more uh, and to actually make sure that you support those groups. And there need to be many more uh, who can actually deal with the problems as they fall out. That, to my mind, is what I would tell the industry. But if they won't do that, and they don't do it fast enough, the Gambling Commission has got to have the teeth, so we need to legislate to give them real powers over the gambling industry. Uh, and finally, the government may well have to step in and regulate. I don't want them to do that, because I think between the Gambling Commission with new powers and the gambling industry, we could see this thing turn around, so it becomes a manageable process.
0: And do you think th- do you think all this could, can happen within this... First term of a Conservative government with a massive majority.
1: I I think the funny thing is when we had these uh, debates or discussions or questions in Parliament, it is quite interesting. There is a huge cross-party sense to this. You know, we're not. This is not a you know a bunch of of kind of prudes wandering around the place saying it. There are loads and loads of parliamentarians who do see this now and see this as a problem. And. you know, it all went back to the full deregulation that took place, because it was about bringing in more tax revenue. And there is tax revenue coming in, but the government's got to recognise, you know, tax revenue isn't the be-all end all of government.
0: And, um, I, and I guess the same with, with, with the, the lottery coming up for its new yeah. We, you'll be
1: looking at. Uh, we're we're uh, going to be looking at that. We're looking at loot boxes in these games that teach kids to, you know, to to bet more. It's a sort of inst- interesting process. Uh, so we think that in, in Britain today, we've kind of lost sight of what actually, the importance of families, the strength of families, family relationships. And uh, in losing sight of that, what we then do is we, um, we end up damaging the very structures that get us from A to B. And I think gambling, properly controlled, you know, properly under control, uh, is manageable. Alcohol under control is manageable, that's key. And I think, therefore, we need to look at what those companies do to ensure that they deal with those... uh, We'd actually, the CSJ originally called for uh, a treatment tax on the back of alcohol some time back to try and raise the price of, you know, the supermarkets. They dump the price of beer and and stuff like that to get the men into the supermarkets. The reason why they do that not going to make the money on the alcohol. They use it as an inducement to get them in because men are terrible shoppers. Uh, this is what they do and men buy stuff you know so you have a sign up saying you know get one free and people think oh that's value for money and they buy and uh, so it tends to, I know this sound peculiar I remember just discussing this when we did this study and they said you, you get the men into the supermarket and you get more profit elsewhere whereas most of the women who are shopping are much clearer and much more straightforward as they are pretty much in life about what they need and what they don't need and they get through that So you want them in the supermarket. The only way to get them in is to get the alcohol cheap. And that's why it's been done. It's quite cynical, really. And they knew what they were doing. And so we called it out in the CSJ and said, you've got to bring an end to this now. Um, uh, But we didn't get... uh, Scotland did it, actually. And uh, Scotland has some problems. And I think it's working in Scotland. I think it is. it helps give you more money for treatment and everything else. Uh, But um, we've still got some way to go. But my point is... With gambling, particularly, it's very similar. What we want now is we want gambling to be uh, rational and reasonable and not prey on people who are problem gamblers.
0: Sir Ian Duncan-Smith, as always, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for talking to us today. Pleasure.
1: To discuss sponsorship opportunities, email editor at toryradio.com. Do it now.